You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. So at a very high level, it is one of the most sophisticated, well-engineered, and difficult-to-detect samples of shellcode that we've seen employed by an APT. That's Jen Miller-Osborne. She's Deputy Director of Threat Intelligence at Palo Alto Network's Unit 42. The research we're discussing today is titled Bendy Bear, novel Chinese shellcode linked with cyber espionage group Black Tech. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. It's also an upgraded variant of WaterBear, which was for 32-bit systems. And this one is designed for modern 64-bit systems. So it shows as well that there's developers behind this that are consistently updating this as operating systems and things like that progress. One of the final notes that makes this unique and somewhat challenging, and definitely challenging, is that the shell code 
exists only in memory and it can load additional payloads directly into memory and not on disk, which Hmm. is another component of making it very difficult to detect. Well, let's go through some of the capabilities together here. I mean, what, uh, what is it able to do? So in terms of capability of what it can do on a system, it's limited to downloading other payloads. So in that perspective, it's not particularly interesting. What is interesting is the way it does both its communications and the way its polymorphic code ensures that its runtime state varies every time it launches. So that makes it very difficult to detect because typically things and patterns that you would signature on, you can't because every time this is launching, it is looking different. Every time it does it pings for a C2 domain, it will clear the host cache, the host DNS cache. So it forces it to resolve every time, which also can impede investigation because there's no cache logs showing that that domain was looked for. But it also implies that the attackers own those domains so they can change uh, the IP they're resolving to if necessary, if for some reason one of them was being detected. And then it also encrypts and decrypts function blocks while it's running only as needed, which is another way to avoid detection. And finally, it also looks for what would be static debugging kind of things What before it runs. If it detects those, it won't run because those are a classic sign that it's in uh, an analysis environment. So the author spent quite a bit of time ensuring that this would be incredibly difficult to detect within a network, but its only actual functionality outside of that is to download additional malicious payloads. Hmm. So how would someone find themselves with this on on their system? What's the mechanism by which it installs itself? We actually don't know. That's one of the things we noted in our research. It does require a loader, but we were not able to find a copy of that. what that is. So our analysts actually had to build a custom loader to get the the shellcode to run. Hmm. So once you find this on your system, can we walk through together what it does, how it reaches out to that C2 server? Sure. So it does some level of time evasion, and that's, again, to avoid typical static or dynamic runtime analysis. That's a, typically, uh, most virtual environments, they only wait a set amount of time for a program to do something before determining whether it's malicious or not malicious, which makes sense because you know they're processing thousands or millions of files at volume and they can't afford for any network to have a particular file sitting there for, you know, an hour, two hours, two weeks waiting for a file to do something. So Mm. in this number of the more advanced things, we'll see a component where they'll just add that in. And this is the same way. They did a number of things to defeat that kind of runtime analysis where they would wait. In addition, they hid their traffic into within port 443 SSL traffic and they were encrypting it. It wasn't SSL encrypted, but it was still encrypted. So it wouldn't necessarily throw any flags just from a casual kind of look. But then it did a number of things to authenticate between the malware itself and the C2 to confirm that it was talking to the correct family, if that makes sense. There were a number of Mm. encryption components when things were transmitted back and forth, that was also used for the encryption, which makes it difficult to 
detect or break. They're calculating the session keys and challenges, but they're doing them per request. And then they're basing the encrypted chunk with of the payload that's sent back on those, the challenge and the response. So it's hmm. confirming the two families are talking together, but also means that you needed the session keys when they were created really to be able to decrypt anything and detect it. So it's an easy, it's a good way of hiding traffic inside legitimate traffic and just kind of sneaking in under the radar, if you could say that. Hmm. And then, yeah. then it, once it decrypts it, then it has whatever that malicious payload was. And that payload goes right into memory, so it's not being written anywhere where it could be where it could be flagged there. Yep, and also it'll also write itself direct, whatever it is directly into memory. I see. It's a really well done stage zero downloader. It's very stealthy, and it's very difficult to reverse engineer the the RE that worked on this. Has been doing this for quite a while and is very experienced. And he noted that this was one of the most complicated pieces of shell code that he's ever looked at. Wow. Now, there's some things that it's doing in terms of um, the encryption here. When, it, when it's sending, uh, when, when data is being transferred, it's breaking it down into uh, certain size blocks, and those blocks are each getting encrypted uh, separately? Mm-hmm. We've seen that with other malware where they do that in an attempt to make it more difficult to reassemble the actual payload so you can understand what it's doing. So they'll encrypt them in bytes and then they'll move them around, essentially. So what you need to be able to do is you have to figure out what the routine was that they used to be able to reverse it. And in this case, they modified um, RC4, which made it just that much a little more difficult because it wasn't traditional RC4. And then they would do that, and then they would XOR the results as well. So it's it's an effective way of making it very difficult to reassemble, even for the for a researcher. And do you have any sense for what sort of payloads are being delivered here? Have you have has there been any follow up on that? Unfortunately, we were not able to find any of the follow on um, malware associated with this. We would love to talk to someone if they have anything. <laughs> so if anyone yeah. that's listening would has anything else on this, please feel free to reach out. Um, this appears to be a very sophisticated group that is well-resourced and technical. They understand what they're doing and they have developers. So it's definitely something that people should be concerned about if you're the type of organization that they they would target. And what sort of conclusions have you drawn in, in terms of who might be behind this and who they may be targeting? So all of the attribution or such attribution that's been published is tied. This is back to uh, the Chinese government. The article that the Taiwanese Department of Justice published along with the C2 domains also gave that same attribution. And then uh, the Cyber Command CNMF team actually retweeted us and kept in the tie to black tech and it is generally it is widely assessed that black tech is tied to the chinese government so we can't say with 100 percent certainty but there seem to be a lot of people in agreement on that right right what are the recommendations in terms of protecting yourself against this for this uh, if you are the kind of target they would go for so this this group historically has focused a lot 
uh, just in the East Asian region, specifically against government and industries like semiconductors, things like that, were a technical nature. I would talk to my, whoever your security provider is, I would have a conversation with them about whether or not you're able to detect this and what that looks like, because it's potentially um, an indicator of a, if you find it in your environment and it's been there a while, you, you probably are going to have to start doing a more thorough investigation of what's going on. So I would recommend organizations confirm that they're protected from this. And, and do you all have indication that the uh, command and control servers are, are active right now, that this is a, an active campaign out there running? That I would have to double check. I haven't, we haven't looked at the domains recently, but the last indication we had uh, a few weeks ago, they were still active. I see. Okay. Well, the blog post that you, um, that you all put up here has a lot of uh, the indicators of compromise and so on. So there's lots of information that folks can use to, uh, to determine whether or not um, it's something they should be concerned about. Really interesting uh, research here. Is, is, there, is there anything that I've missed, anything I haven't asked you that you think it's important to share? No, I don't think so. Just really want to highlight that this is a very stealthy and sophisticated piece of shell code. So if you're a potential target, please ensure that you are protected from this. Our thanks to Jen Miller-Osborne from Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 for joining us. The research is titled Bendy Bear, Novel Chinese Shell Code Linked with Cyber Espionage Group, Black Tech. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice... Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.